It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Friday, March 12, 2021. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game will host an informational meeting about Sitka's 2021 herring season tonight. ADF&G hosts the meeting each year, but last year's was canceled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. State biologists will discuss the department's survey and sampling results, herring forecasts, and the 2019 and 2020 subsistence herring egg harvests. According to an ADF&G press release, the department will host a separate meeting to discuss the management of the 2021 Sitka Sacro herring fishery. A date for that meeting will be announced once the fishery is on two-hour notice. The commercial fishery didn't happen last year due in part to low market demand and COVID-19. The year before, the fishery went on two-hour notice but never opened. Fish and Game set the commercial harvest level for this year's fishery at 33,000 tons, but the state predicts that processors won't buy that much fish. Last year, the Sitka Tribe of Alaska won a pair of legal victories against the state, arguing that subsistence harvests were not reasonably accounted for during management of the fishery. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the meeting will be held virtually beginning at 5 p.m., You can find a link to the meeting on our website, kcaw.org. Governor Mike Dunleavy's administration has announced the sale of Alaska's two fast ferries to an international buyer for just over $5 million. The deal closed Wednesday, the Department of Transportation said on Thursday. The Fairweather and Chenega have been tied up in Ketchikan since 2019 and 2015, respectively. They were relatively new additions to the Alaska Marine Highway System's fleet, purchased about 15 years ago for $68 million. They were popular with passengers as they traveled about twice as fast as the rest of the fleet, but they struggled to perform in rough seas and burned more fuel. The buyer is Tresmapi, which runs a fleet of catamarans between the Spanish mainland and the Mediterranean island Ibiza. The Spanish ferry operator was the sole bidder in January for both ships, but offered less than half the $10 million sought by the state. State officials say they've since negotiated a higher selling price of more than half a million dollars. The $5.1 million will be transferred into the state's Vessel Construction Fund, an account used for future ferry maintenance and construction. In a statement, DOT Commissioner John McKinnon called the sale a significant milestone in our long-term vision to reshape the Alaska Marine Highway System. A heavy-lift vessel currently off the coast of Vancouver Island is expected to take the 235-foot ships and transport them to Spain via the Panama Canal in the coming weeks. Governor Mike Dunleavy has proposed a new bill to boost independent oversight and planning for the Alaska Marine Highway System. In a statement Wednesday, the governor said the legislation would improve reliability and efficiency of the fleet to serve coastal Alaska for years to come. Dunleavy, a Republican, has targeted the ferry system for deep budget cuts during his two years as governor, but the new bill is aimed at sharpening the marine highway's strategy. The legislation would replace an existing Marine Transportation Advisory Board with a new panel required to draft regular short- and long-range plans for the fleet. Robert Venables, chair of the existing Marine Transportation Advisory Board, says those types of plans are sorely needed and were a key recommendation of a Marine Highway Working Group convened by the governor. In spite of the fact that the state has a Southeast Transportation Plan, which is woefully out of date, there's never really been a long-term plan specific to the Marine Highway System. The 10-member Operations and Planning Board's members would be appointed and removed by the governor. Sitka Democratic Representative Jonathan Christ Tompkins called Dunleavy's bill an incremental improvement. 
He wants the ferry system's leaders to be fully insulated from shifting political winds, and he says the legislation wouldn't accomplish that. All we're talking about is advisory, 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 you know, sort of going on bended knee to the powers of DOT about, you know, managing the system better. And I don't think anything is going to change unless the management power and governance fundamentally is depoliticized with a ferry system, and this bill doesn't do that. Christ Tompkins is a co-sponsor of a bill introduced by Kodiak Republican Louise Stutes that would revamp the existing Marine Transportation Board to give it greater authority. A key difference is that legislators would appoint nearly half its members to help balance out the influence from the governor. But Christ Tompkins concedes that even his favored legislation wouldn't grant as much autonomy to the ferry system as he'd like, nor does it have a companion bill in the state Senate. The existing advisory board originated with a 2003 administrative order from Governor Frank Murkowski. Venables, the board's current chair, says he's concerned state lawmakers won't have time to pass either bill before their session ends. He says he'd hope Dunleavy would use his authority as governor to accomplish this through an administrative action. My first hope was that the governor might, with his executive powers, just appoint such a body and allow the legislature to see it in action, and then they would maybe more readily adopted. Lawmakers say that before the legislative session ends, they'll be taking a hard look at the ferry system, which has struggled from declining subsidies and reduced ridership from lower service levels in COVID-19. But that work still hasn't progressed much nearly two months after the session started. The ferry budget was contentious last year, with the governor vetoing much of the extra money added by lawmakers. Transportation officials told legislators this week that the ferry system is entering a new year with a nearly $7 million deficit. In 2020, a year of widespread financial hardship, Alaska's housing market was surprisingly strong. As interest rates fell and many Alaskans began working remotely, the demands for homes and home prices soared. Is this a sign of strength amid great economic uncertainty? As Alaska Public Media's Abby Collins reports, the answer is complicated, in part because the housing market's upswing doesn't account for thousands of Alaskans who are struggling to make ends meet. Mara Hill knew she wanted to buy a house in Anchorage in 2020. She'd reached a point where she felt emotionally and financially ready to make the purchase. And then? About a year and a half ago, I went to a psychic for the first time, and she told me that I was in a year of my life where I was like really well poised to make financial decisions or changes. Uh, So she recommended if I was going to buy, sell or trade anything, this be the year to do it. And that gave me like the final little push I needed uh, to dive into buying a house. Hill says she was lucky. Despite the pandemic, she had job security and could afford to look for a house. But her search didn't quite go as planned. She initially wanted to buy a home on the city's west side where she grew up. I like pretty quickly realized I was not competitive enough for the places that I was initially looking. What Hill saw while looking for houses is similar to many others in Anchorage trying to buy a house in 2020. According to data from the Alaska Multiple Listing Service, average single-family home sales were the highest they've been in the last 10 years. The same goes for average single-family home prices. I have never worked in a market where there's been such a bidding war for properties. That's Connie Yoshimura. She's been in the real estate business in the Anchorage area for about 40 years. 
Yoshimura says the market usually slows down in the winter, but not in 2020. She says the competitiveness carried over into the new year, with buyers continuing to outnumber sellers. Buyers who are sometimes offering tens of thousands of dollars more than the asking price. Yoshimura says there are a few things compelling people to buy. Historic low interest rates, a few years of underbuilding in Anchorage, and more philosophically. Everyone, I think, emotionally, intellectually, socially, is part of has taken this year to sort of reevaluate their life and where do I want to live and how do I want to live. Alaska saw record unemployment during the pandemic. And while there were significant job losses in areas like the oil industry, many of the losses were concentrated among lower-paying jobs. Nolan Clouda with the University of Alaska Center for Economic Development says many Alaskans with higher-paying jobs actually ended up in pretty good financial shape. They can work from home. Um, their, their bank accounts are in pretty good shape. You know, the stock market's doing well, so their retirement accounts are doing pretty well. Uh, and, um, you know, and interest rates are low, so it's easy for them to get financing for large purchases, like houses, if that's the case. At the same time, Clouda says many Alaskans are really struggling and experiencing housing insecurity. It's a very strange dynamic to see that, you know, that... You know, homes could sell so quickly at such high prices on one hand, and then also that, that uh, a large number, particularly of renters, are, are really quite worried about, about their ability to hang on to their housing. Nearly 30,000 Alaskans recently applied for rental assistance from the Alaska Housing Finance Corporation. CEO Brian Butcher says while homeowners have been impacted by the pandemic too, there are disproportionate number of renters facing employment impacts. Clouda says while the housing trend does indicate confidence in the economy, it's hard to say for sure whether it's really a sign of economic health. I don't really view it as being overall that good of a sign. Now it is good. Now the fact that people are buying is a is a sign is a bit of a vote of confidence in the economy. So you can see that is good, and you can say that that at least some portion of the of households are doing well. But it's but it, at, at best, I think it's a very mixed bag if we're if we're trying to read it as a sign for our economy overall and its health. In some ways, Clouda says housing trends like this can actually present a barrier to economic growth. It can make it harder for people to move here, meaning it can be more difficult for employers to fill jobs. In Anchorage, I'm Abby Collins. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. This is 